but my mother And she could be jiving too are continuing a series that we started four weeks, or I guess three weeks ago. So we're, we're four weeks into a five-week series that we've been calling uh, In the Meantime. In the Meantime. And this is a, this is a series uh, from, that I've uh, kind of taken and adapted from a pastor that I really respect. His name is Andy Stanley. And I heard him give some of these messages uh, uh, not too long ago that just really helped me uh, personally. And I thought, man, I, I just think that I want an excuse to study this some more. And I also think that it could be really helpful for the rest of our church. And so I wanted to share them with y'all and teach this to you guys. And hopefully it has been helpful. The big question of this series is, what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you're stuck and things are bad and it doesn't look like they're going to get any better? What do you do when you don't know what to do? And it's a tough situation. And we find ourselves in those far too often and Probably many of us are right there right now, and uh, I've been there. I, I'm kind of there right now as well, uh, especially with what's happening with my sister and her family. So I'm not, it's not feeling it for me personally, but and yet I am because I feel stuff that's happening with my sister and her little baby. And some of y'all have heard me talk about her a lot in this this series, but uh, it's just hard. And it's like, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Perhaps for you guys. Uh, for some of y'all, it's going to be uh, your own medical stuff. And you went to the doctor, and the doctor said that uh, it's, you know, it's not going to kill you, but it's not going to go away either, and it's going to change your life dramatically, and it just is what it is, and this is what you have to live with. It's your new normal, and, it, and it's, it's not what you wanted. What do you do? Or, or for some of y'all, it, it might be in the area of your job and you know, you were up for that next promotion, and then you didn't get the next promotion. They promoted another guy, and you realize, and it's begun to come home to you, that you kind of hit your ceiling for whatever reason at work, and now, you, and it's just where you are, and you're just stuck there, and you don't want to be stuck there, but there's no easy way out from there, and you just, what do you, what do you do? Or for you, it might be in your marriage, and the, the man that you married uh, uh, a few years back is not the guy that you're living with now. He's just completely different. He's changed so much. And you just think, like, this is not what I signed up for. And you know you shouldn't divorce him. You feel stuck, and it's not the picture of what you thought marriage was going to look like, and you're, you hate it, and understandably so. But, you know, you try to give grace, and you try to love, but he doesn't seem to want to change. What do you do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Or perhaps for, for others in here, it's just going to be some other kind of dream, whether it be financial dream or the dream of having a family or having kids or how your kids will turn out. It's just some kind of dream that you have that's coming home to you for whatever reason that that dream is not going to come true. Or it just doesn't seem like it's going to come true anytime soon. And you're just heartbroken, understandably so, and, and you're frustrated and you're stuck what do, you, what do you do? What often happens, and what we've said in this series, is that what often happens is we just get frustrated, and we get angry, and we get bitter, and we get resentful. Man, I understand that. 
And you start looking around, everybody else with their wrinkle-free lives and the life that you were supposed to have, that they seem to have, and, and it just doesn't seem fair. And you, it's so easy to get bitter because of that. And then where that often also goes is that you begin trying to, you begin telling yourself these lies and they're so easy to believe. You start telling yourself that, man, I'm never going to be happy again. I'm never going to be happy again. Or this, there's no good. There's nothing good that's ever going to come from this. And when you feel like, man, I'm never going to be happy again, and there's nothing good that's ever going to come from this, it's easy to go to the next step, which is there's no point in continuing. There's no point in continuing in this relationship. There's no point in continuing this job. There's no point in trying to continue to be kind or to be gracious. Never, no point in continuing to take care of my body. And perhaps sometimes you get to a point, and there's, I know that there's people in this room that have gotten there, and it's understandable why you have. But you get to a point where you say, I wonder if there's, there's just no point in even continuing at all. That's, that is sadly normal. And we often, in those times, feel like we're on an island all by ourselves, and we're the only one that's having to deal with this. Because when you look around everybody else, you see that their lives appear to be great. You, you don't see a lot of people posting on Facebook all the bad stuff. They put the stuff on there like, look at me, I did this really fun vacation. And you look at all that stuff, that's what you're seeing all the time in your feed. And you just think, everyone else is doing great, and I just am dying in the inside. But guys, you're not alone. You're not alone. Oftentimes, uh, what we find is that you get, you get to start thinking as well that God has abandoned you. And that only makes it worse because you really feel alone then. It, we have, in our Western kind of thinking, this idea that if there's a good God, then only good stuff will happen to you. And if there's a loving God, then only good stuff will happen to you. And so if bad stuff starts happening, then we begin to think, okay, well, then there must not be a God, or God must not care about me, or he must have abandoned me, or he must be apathetic about me because he's not intervening in my circumstances. And therefore, you feel all the more alone. But one of the things we've said in this series, and I think is really helpful, I'm going to repeat it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, is this, that when you look in the New Testament and you see the lives of the, of the people, the men and the women who were just faithful to bring us the scriptures and the stories of Jesus and to bring our faith out of the first century and eventually to us today, when you look at their lives, you read their stories in the New Testament, you see that they were men and women who were not unfamiliar with incredible adversity. It was commonplace for them to face incredibly difficult things. But here is what's different about them and about us oftentimes is that they did not see the contradiction, a contradiction in there being a good God that they want to faithfully serve and yet facing really difficult times, really difficult circumstances that they were not put off and they were not left spinning like, well, how, this, how could this be happening to me if there's a good God? They just got it for whatever reason. They got like, there's going to be adversity. There's going to be difficult, extremely difficult things. And that doesn't mean that God is absent and that doesn't mean that God is apathetic. It, God can absolutely love you, be present with you, and know what's going on with you, and yet you be facing difficult circumstances. And they seem to get that. 
And it led to them being faithful and serving God and living with God and trusting God, even though they were facing very difficult things. We talked two weeks ago about one guy in particular, the Apostle Paul, right? I remember talking about him and how the Apostle Paul, one of the most faithful servants to God in all of Scripture we see, and how he basically was commissioned by God to single-handedly get the gospel to all the Gentile world. And he didn't try to do it single-handedly. He was planting churches and making disciples. But like he was like set apart from God to do this incredibly awesome thing for the kingdom of God. And yet, the Apostle Paul had this really difficult circumstance that he was ple- that he pleaded with God to remove, pleaded with God to take away from him. And yet God said, no. And yet Paul didn't say, well, then I don't believe you're real. And Paul didn't say, well, then, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to serve you. I'm going to go live for myself. And he didn't say, I don't trust you anymore. He just said, okay, I'm going to keep serving you. And remember that list. I mean, it's hard stuff. Like he, he had something that was painful, something that was debilitating, something that was humiliating, and something that was permanent. And yet Paul didn't see that as a contradiction to, that would cause him to divorce his confidence, his trust from God. He kept serving God. And the Apostle Paul not only did that and was our like a, a great picture, a great mentor or, or example for us in that. But he also said some, some really crazy, intriguing, bold comments. And what, we want to look at one of them that, that has to do with how he responded in the midst of his adversity and his difficult circumstances. And what we're going to look at today is he's going to, he makes a statement where he says that somehow he's actually learned to be content content in the midst of any kind of circumstance. Now that is weird, is it not? I mean, that to me, that's a very intriguing statement. And he's learned to be content because like, I don't know about you, but when I think about content, being content, I think about sun is shining. My beautiful wife is next to me. The kids are playing in the yard. They're laughing. I don't have a worry in the world. Everything is good. That's when I feel a sense of contentment or satisfaction or peace. But what we're going to see with the Apostle Paul is that his circumstances were the direct opposite of that. Like he was in a place where there's everything around him was spinning out of control. Everything around him was incredibly difficult, and yet he's able to say that he is content. Content. That is weird. That is really strange. So we're going to look at this passage today in the book of Philippians chapter 4. If you want to turn there and just hold your spot, we'll get there in a second. But before we get there, I just want to give you a little bit more context to make you understand how bold and how intriguing this comment is that the Apostle Paul makes. Because here's the deal. Paul, for those of you who uh, are maybe unfamiliar to his story, Paul was a, a Christian persecutor. He, he, he hated Christians early in his life. He arrested them. He oversaw the killing of them. But then he actually meets Jesus, comes to know Jesus. Jesus appears to him. He puts his faith in Jesus. And then he becomes a missionary for Jesus, a follower of Jesus, who's, who's just radical in trying to get the gospel to all these people, they, they too would believe in Jesus. But, and so he sets out in these missionary endeavors, these missionary uh, trips, and he's planting churches all along the Mediterranean rim and serving God really faithfully. And, but then about 10 years into it, 
he gets arrested and he gets shipped off to Rome. And so he's in a house arrest in Rome and the emperor at that time is Nero. And any of y'all who are familiar with kind of Roman history or Christian early church history, you know that uh, to be under arrest in Rome with Nero as your emperor is not a good place to be. And Nero was famous for, for lighting his gardens with Christians. And Nero was famous for trying to wipe out the Christians. Nero was famous for blaming anything he could, like the fire in Rome, on Christians so that Christians would be put to death and done away with. And that's where Paul found himself under arrest in Rome, Nero, the emperor. And you could say that's a, in a in the meantime situation. Like, what do you do when you, there's nothing you can do and everything's bad and just looks like you're stuck? What do you do? Well, here's what's interesting with Paul. And so what he does is he's like a super ambitious guy. He's not one guy. He's not a guy for like, oh, whatever, I'm stuck here in prison. I guess I'll just take a lot of naps. Like he's, he's super ambitious. So he's like, okay, how do I use this time? Well, I think I'll write some letters. And I don't know exactly how this plays out. Like I, God, we believe, inspires Scripture, uses people and their personalities to write what he wants written and communicated to us in Scripture. But somehow God is at, works through Paul, but Paul is in this really difficult situation. He doesn't say, hey, I'm just going to abandon my faith or God, you've got me stuck here in prison with Nero as the emperor. And so I'm about to die. And so if you're not going to come through for me, or it looks like you've abandoned me, so I'm going to hit the eject button on my faith. I'm out of here. Instead of doing that, Paul decides he's going to persevere and he's not going to waste his time in prison, even though he's in a spot where he's like, what do you do? And there's nothing you can do. He says, oh, I guess I'll just write some letters to some of the churches that I helped plant. And so he starts writing these letters. In some cases, he dictates these letters and he ends up Pinning something in the midst of an in the meantime moment when he's stuck and it's bad and there's nothing that he can do. He writes these letters that end up changing the world. I mean, they're part of what, of what ends up changing the world. Like he begins writing letters that we today, on this day, right, this minute, are talking about 2,000 years later, half a world later, that are still having ripple effects in the world today that we're impacted by. He does that in the, in the meantime moment. This is crazy. He writes letters that become a part of the vernacular of multiple languages throughout multiple centuries. How in the world is that, is that happening? Guys, here, here's my point in bringing this up. I think Paul had no idea. I think Paul had no idea the magnitude of what he was doing when he chose to be faithful and to persevere in the midst of an in-the-meantime moment. That instead of ejecting from God, instead of bailing on his relation with God, instead of saying, Nero is Lord, instead of saying, I'm out of here, God, it looks like you've abandoned me, so I'm going to abandon you. Instead of doing any of that kind of stuff, he remained faithful and he trusted God and he persevered in his faith, and God used it how he responded to his adversity to change the world. And I think he had no idea the ramifications of what that was going to mean, that it was going to impact all of our lives. And guys, I think you have no idea, and I think I have no idea what God could do through you if you also choose to persevere in the midst of your difficult circumstance. 
that if you choose to not bail on God, but you choose to persevere, continue to trust God in your in the meantime kind of moment, I think you, just like Paul, had no idea how God could use that to impact our world, our situations, or different people in your world. And so I start off this message, I just want to give you that encouragement because it actually matters what you do when you don't know what to do. It matters because when you don't know what to do and you feel stuck and you feel like you're just, there's nothing that you can do, here's what you sh- should do. That's keep believing that God loves you, he hasn't abandoned you, that he's there with you and persevere. Ask God to help you persevere because he could use it. You don't know who or what hangs in the balance. But God can use that to grow you, to glorify him, and to change the lives, perhaps to change the lives of many, many people. So it's in that situation where the Apostle Paul finds himself, and he's writing one of these letters, because in, in prison, he writes these letters. He writes Philippians, he writes, he writes Ephesians, he writes Philippians, he writes Colossians, and he writes the book of Philemon. And it's in the book of Philippians that we're going to see today what he says, because he makes this crazy statement, not only showing us what will happen by persevering, but that he could have contentment in the midst of these Difficult trials. And so let me read this for us, and we'll begin to unpack it uh, this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And let me explain real quick what he's saying. So what we see in this passage is that uh, Paul had been arrested. He was in Rome. Word travels slow in that day and age, right? And don't have email or whatever. And so oh, finally, word gets back to Philippians, to, to Philippi, to the Christians in, uh, in Philippi, the, um, that the guy who started their church, who led many of them to Christ, who discipled them, had a huge impact on their life. He was in prison. And so they decide to put together a care package, and then they send that to Paul, who's in prison. And it takes a long time for that to get all the way to Rome. But when Paul gets it, he says, hey, like, oh man, thanks so much. Oh wow, you, you care about me. I see you've renewed your concern for me. He's opening up this box and there's probably like some ramen in there and a flashlight. And I mean, I don't, I don't know what's in there. Probably a cloak because it was cold or whatever. But anyways, he, he, just, he used to say, man, this really means a lot to me that y'all still remember me and you, you're, you're concerned about me. But then he goes on and he says this, um, he says, I'm, in verse 11, I'm not saying this uh, because I'm in need, meaning I, I'm grateful that you sent this to me. I really am. Like, it means a lot that you've remembered me, but I just want you to know that I'm doing okay. Like, I'm not reeling in my faith. I'm not feeling like I'm about to abandon ship. I, I'm, I'm doing all right. Like, even though everything on the outside is just spinning out of control on the inside, I'm, I'm hanging in there. In fact, he uses this statement to, to introduce this idea of being content. And he goes on, he says this, he says, um, for I have learned, and now that's really, really important for us to see, because for I have learned, meaning like, I, this took a little while. Like, for I have learned, like, this didn't come naturally for me. I have learned, like, this wasn't, and the, I didn't get this intuitively. He says, I have learned, and I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances 
She said, again, what, a, what an amazing statement. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Now, again, his idea here of contentment is so different than my idea of contentment. Contentment usually is contingent for me on my circumstances. But Paul is saying, no, I've learned to be content despite my circumstances. When everything else is just reeling, everything else is spinning out of control, I found that in the inside, I can feel satisfied and at peace. I can feel content. I can be content. And I don't know about you guys, but like, that's intriguing to me. Like, I see that and I like, I want to lean into that. Like, all right. I'm like, okay, Paul, I want to learn that. Like, if you said that you learned it, I want to learn that. Can you teach that for me? Like, where's that class? I'll sign up for that class. I'll be the front row of that class, whenever it is, because I want to know how I can be content in any kind of circumstance. And so that's... You feeling that? Like, lean into this? Like, man, what is that? How do you do that? How do you be content like that? Well, he, um, it's also helpful to point out that this is not because Paul was apathetic. Like, Paul is not apathetic. Like, this is not a, hey, I've learned to be content. Like, this is just what I'm stuck with, and I'm all right with it kind of attitude. Like Paul is the guy who's trying to win the entire world to Jesus. He's, not, he's, he's ambitious. He's not apathetic. He's not an, oh, well, whatever kind of guy. Like we're not talking about, oh, well, whatever. I'll just be content with what I've got. Like he's saying, no, I'm really, I'm at, I'm at peace. He said, despite, despite my personality and my circumstances, I've learned to be content. And again, I lean into that. Like, what is that? I want to I want to know how to, how to do that. Teach me that. So verse 12, he says this. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. In other words, and this is kind of a big statement too, he says, there's been times where I've had more than I needed, and those times didn't wreck my contentment because they didn't like get me used to that so that when the times when I didn't have enough, I was discontent. I've actually learned how to navigate, navigate having more than I need, and I've learned how to navigate not having enough. And, and, and despite whatever the circumstances, still be content. How? He says, I have learned, again, learn. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, I love this. This is, this is really interesting. Um, the Apostle Paul in this, he, in the Greek, he reaches outside of like biblical literature and he grabs a word from culture that doesn't show up anywhere else in the entire Bible, anywhere else in the, in the entire New Testament, which is primarily written in Greek. And so he, he grabs this word that doesn't show up anywhere else. And, and the reason that's interesting or noteworthy is, is it's similar to like if you're talking with a friend and you bust out like a, a five-syllable word that you're not usually used to using, your friends notice that, right? They're like, oh, look at you, man. Wow, that's impressive. Studying for the SAT again or something like that, right? And like, but they take notice when you bust out some kind of big, you know, word. And, and it's the same thing. Like with Paul, every once in a while, he'll use an odd or a or, or word that's not normally used in biblical literature. And his point is to try to get you to pause, just to say, okay, wait, what? Okay, he's trying to make a he's trying to make a point, a big point with this. Like this is an odd usage. Like, what? Where is this coming from? And to lean in and ask this question. And what's interesting is that the word that he uses here, he actually takes from, and this is going to sound really weird, but he, he takes from cultic mysticism. 
Like he reaches out of, bio, out of any kind of biblical terminology, out of any kind of the, theologically correct understanding, and he reaches out and he grabs this word from the cultic mysticism and he brings it into this context. And in it, this word, it basically, that's, it's really translated, learn the secret of, it's like this whole phrase, learn the secret of being content. It, 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 it basically means this. It means... Um, some, to, uh, cult, it's, let me see how I put it here. Um, it's a word that's only used in cultivating mysticism to describe somebody being initiated into some kind of secret society. So I was never in a fraternity, but like my guess is like it's similar to like rush in the sense that you you know you, you do rush sorority fraternity and like you you're once you're in you learn the special handshake or whatever it is you go through that kind of mystic deal like you're one of us and this is a like the secret aspect of our society and this is our secret knowledge that you have now that you're a part of us it was that kind of sense for occultic mysticism like there's something that you get the secret knowledge you become a part of this secret society. And so here's what Paul's saying. He's like, hey, I've learned, I've learned, or I've been initiated into the secret society with this secret knowledge of contentment. Like I'm now a part of the secret knowledge, secret society of those who are content, no matter what the circumstances are. It's, it's really intriguing how he puts that. And it's like, this is something that's available to everyone, but most people don't know about it. Like, it's a secret. It's, and it's, it's a little bit mystical. But there's something to it that I've learned. It was a process. I had to learn it. But now I've got it. I'm a part of this. I've been initiated into it. And that's why I've learned to be content, no matter what my circumstances are. And so, like, to me, again, that's another thing that causes me to lean into this and be like, okay, all right, Paul, like, now this is getting kind of weird, but, like, what is that? Like, tell me what that is. I, I want to know. I want the secret. Like, let, let me into the secret society of those that are content. Like, get, can you let me in? Because I, I want to know what that is. And so he goes on. He's, he tells us in the next verse what it is. But before we read that verse, I mean, you can go ahead and read it. I can't make you stop reading right where you are, but... Be, let me draw our attention to something because this verse that we're about to read next is one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. It's one of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture, but it's also one of the most misapplied statements in all of literature. And that what we do is that we yank this out of its context and we apply it to mean anything that we want. And most of the time, we apply it to mean something that it doesn't actually mean. And if we do that, the danger of doing that is that if you misapply this, if you misunderstand this, then you're missing out on the secret knowledge of what it is to be content. You miss out on the secret of contentment. So don't misapply this. But this statement is so pithy. It's so easy to remember that we apply it to all kinds of different stuff. But let me just read it for us. And then we'll talk about how Paul is really meaning for us to understand this. This is what he says. He says, here's the verse. Here's the secret. Secret knowledge. We're all about to be initiated. He says, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him, him being Jesus, who gives me strength. I can do all of what, Paul? I can do all of this. I can do all of this being in prison 
with my life on the line and not be going crazy. I can do all this like getting stoned to death, getting thrown, thrown out of uh, the city, but like having no one, like being just lonely. I'm, no one's ever going to marry me. Who would marry me? And no one's going to ever want to stay with me my whole entire life. Like I'm lonely. I've been stoned. I've been beaten. I'm in prison. I don't know if I'm going to get out of here, but I can stay. I can persevere and have peace, be content. I can do all of that through him who gives me strength. What he's not saying, guys, and this is just to be a little bit critical and, and, and mean-spirited maybe, so forgive me, but he's not saying this, like right here. See this? See this banner? See that picture, Neil? There it is. He's not saying this. Like, we've all seen things like this, right? And God bless this football team. They're going to run through this banner, and I hope that God gives them victory in their football game. But this, this isn't what Paul's talking about. Like, Paul isn't talking, guys, Paul isn't talking about victory. He's not talking about overcoming in the sense like, this is how I can, he's not saying, I can break out of prison and overtake Rome because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He's saying, no, I can sit here in this prison and be content because Christ gives me his strength. He's talking about peace that leads to perseverance. Not, not power that leads to victory in the sense of like winning a football game. But we use this all the time. Like I can do anything. Christ gives me strength. So I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to win this. I'm going to get this job or whatever. Like, no, this means that if you don't get the job, you can be content. Because you can do everything through Christ who gives you strength. To, to add something to this verse, just to bring a little bit more clarity to it, what he's saying, if Paul doesn't mind me adding something to what he says here, but like, I can do anything through Christ or through him who gives me his strength. His strength. Because it's not your strength, it's, it's God's strength. It's Jesus' strength that will allow you to be content no matter what the circumstances are. In fact, later on in another book that he writes also in prison, in Colossians chapter 1, he clarifies this a little bit more and talks again about this being a mystery. And, and so I think one of the reasons why he uses that cultic mysticism word, because this is, this is mysterious what he means by this, but in Colossians 1, 27, he says this, To them God has uh, chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of, and then hear this, this mystery, which is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He goes on a verse later to say, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Whose who's energy? Christ's energy. That Christ is working his energy through me. Why? Because Christ is in me. How does that work? I don't know. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. But it's true. It, it, it's Christ in us. Oh, and if you rip the guys, if you rip this out of context, you miss something important. And so don't, don't rip this out of context. This is the secret to contentment. The reason that we can do all things through him who strengthens us is because the, the one that strengthens us, he's God. He's God. Jesus is God. I can do all things through him, through Jesus, through Christ who strengthens me. Well, if Jesus is God, then we've got a lot of strength. We've got the ability, no matter what the circumstances, to find satisfaction, peace, 
to be content. Paul, in the same chapter in Colossians 1, he says this. He says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is above all things, and in him all things hold together. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus is God. He holds all things together. From him all things were created. And if that's not enough to know that he can give us his strength, then let me read what he, Paul adds one verse later. He says, And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Because here's, here's what Paul is saying when he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Just to, just to put it in a, in a helpful handle for us. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you can't. But he can, and he can through you. You can't, but he can, and he can through you. He can't, I mean, you can't, admit it, you can't. You can't, you can't keep going, you can't persevere, you, you can't face another day. This is so difficult, you can't. But he can, because he's God. And if he's God, then he has all the power in the world. And, and just to help you understand that even a little bit more, here's the deal. Jesus not only created all things and holds all things together, but he also died in our place that he could bring peace where there was no peace. Peace between us and our relationship with God the Father. And see, when we, because of sin, were separated from God, there existed no peace between us and God. And yet, Jesus was able to carry his own cross up the hill and die there. And then rise again. And if he's powerful enough to die for our sins, pay for him by his blood, and rise again, then he's powerful enough to bring peace between us and God through what he did, which also means that he's powerful enough. I mean, this seems like a no-brainer, right? He's powerful enough to bring us peace where there is no peace in our little hard circumstances. And they don't feel little, but compared to overcoming sin and death, yeah, he could bring peace here as well. So you, you can't. You can't have peace. You can't keep going. But he can. And he can through you. It's mysterious. I know it's mysterious. There's a couple other verses in Scripture where Paul tries to elaborate on this a little bit more. Let me read them a couple for you. He says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Again, Christ living in us. Romans 8.11, he talks about how the, what, what kind of power that makes possible for us to lean into. He says it this way, he says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit who lives in you. So spirit of Jesus who raised Jesus from the dead now lives within you. Do you have the strength to move on? Yes. Is it your strength? No. Is it his strength? Yes. Can he do it through? Yes. You can persevere and have peace. You can have peace that's going to enable you to persevere because of Christ his strength. 
And, you, and that's what Paul said. This is a secret knowledge. This is what I've learned. I can't. But he can. And he can through me. What does this look like? Well, guys, my sister and brother-in-law um, holding their little baby girl each day who's blind and may never walk and is severely mentally handicapped, has a feeding tube that they have to feed her through and has a trach to help her breathe that she won't have removed probably ever. And they hold her and they think, and understandably so, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't be the parents that this little girl needs. I can't, I can't stand up underneath the disappointment. I can't face the trials that are going to come day after day in trying to care for this girl. I can't do this. Because they're right. They can't. But every day they choose to believe because of the promises of God that they have Christ within them. And so they say, I can't, but he can. He can. And he can through me. You're in a job situation and every day you wake up with just incredible financial pressure and success and the income, the success of your job, income of, that you get from your job is, is dependent not on you but on what other people do and it's just not happening and you don't know what to do and you feel like you can't go on and you're so tempted to quit or to be unethical, to cheat or to do something and you just think, I got to like figure this out on my own and you, but I can't figure it out. And guys, you can't. You can't. Admit it. You can't. But he can. And he can through you. You drive home from work or you hear the door open and you know that your, your husband and your wife, that there's three versions of them. And you don't know who you're walking into. And you don't know who's coming home that day. And you just think, I can't give them any more grace. I can't sh- forgive them again. I can't continue to serve and love them. I can't. I can't. You're right. You can't. You can't. But he can. And he can through you. And it's mysterious. And you say, I don't understand how that works. And Paul says, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can explain it any better than that. It's, this, it's something that I had to learn. And it's this kind of secret knowledge. It's, it's something you, have to, you just have to, you have to step out in faith in. But you need to believe the promises of this because you have a Savior who is all-powerful and didn't just die for you and rise again, but then has then, if you believe in him, come to indwell you, to live in you. And that because he does, you have his power in order to persevere in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. And not just persevere, but have peace and be content. So here, to wrap up this morning, 
I want to leave us with a homework assignment. Gave you a homework assignment last week. I know we all love homework assignments. I'm not going to actually give you a bookmark like I did last week because, you know, y'all didn't use that bookmark last time anyway. Maybe you have, but no one needs two bookmarks. So there's no bookmark. You might want to just write this down because here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to pray something else this week. And I want to ask that you pray it every, every day, that you pray one part of it in the morning and one part at night. And here's what I'm asking you to pray. In the morning, as you get going in your day, Perhaps even before your feet hit the ground, you would just say this, God, I can't, but you can. See, I can't, but you can. See, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So, but I can't. I can't on my own, but you can. And then at nighttime, at nighttime, because at nighttime, it's a little bit dark outside. It's a little spooky, if you will. And uh, at least my son camp thinks it is. And so uh, at, at nighttime, let's bring in the mystery to this prayer. And so at night, pray this. Pray, pray this. God, will you teach me the mystery? Would you teach me the mystery of Christ in me, through me? Will you teach me the mystery of Christ in me, through me? Because Paul said, I have to learn this. He, he had to learn this. So I need to learn this, but will you teach this to me? And I don't fully get it, and it's mysterious, and I don't fully understand it. And like, like Jake said something about cultic mysticism, and I, I don't know, he wants me to join a cult or whatever, and like, oh, I never understand what that guy's talking about. Anyways, but if there's something to this, will you teach this to me? Will you teach this to me, this mystery of Christ in me, through me? Uh, just extend that to us, guys. Let, let us pray that this week. Because this is the secret to contentment. No matter what our circumstances. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, would you teach this? Would you please teach this to us? And I know that some of us have lived long enough to know that it's in this tension, in this hard circumstances, in this in the meantime moment, that you really do have the greatest opportunity to grow us, to mature us, to teach us, to use us. Because it's in that tension that you have our greatest attention. So, Father, please give us eyes to see that thing the way that you see it. And teach us the secret of contentment right there in the midst of our difficulties and our trials. And God, I confess on all of our behalf that we can't, but that you can, and you can through us. See, we can't, but you can, and you can through us. Teach us the secret of contentment, God. And use that thing that we would never choose again to demonstrate your glory through us in ways we never, ever imagined. Father, we pray all these things in the matchless name of our Savior. Amen.